other people's shoes as you know i am your host neil matthews thank you thank you so much for joining us it is august man it is hot here in southern oregon we've had temperatures in the 115s that's 115 in case you're scoring at home that's really hot you know what's also really hot our website it's pretty hot it's awesome it's got some cool stuff over there so go check it out opspodcast.com is a great place to connect with me there And, of course, if you'd like to connect daily on the socials, we, of course, do the Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter things. So join me there as well, OPS Podcast Show. That's how you can find us on the social medias. Speaking of social medias and things that get us into the media, I know this is a weird segue perhaps, but has anyone ever, show of hands, anyone ever been woken up in the middle of the night with a dude's name on your mind? I know that's a weird transition to segue into my guest all the way. It pains me to say this from the Terrapin State, in case you're wondering what state that is, that's Maryland, if you're scoring at home. And yes, in fact, I do. I love turtles. So help me welcome him in. He is married to the charming and talented Michelle Watson. That should give you a hint of who we're talking to today. He is also, of course, the co-host. Some may even say the host, but we'll stick with co-host of the Pantry Podcast. He, of course, has served proudly and faithfully in the United States Army. And now he is this weird kind of, we're going to have to dig deep into this one. He's a biomedical engineer. He had his come to Jesus moment while jamming to Montel Jordan. This is how we do it back in 2014. Help me welcome in Shay Shay from the Terrapin State. Yeah, come on. Or you could just say Shea Butter. I mean, that's how people usually remember because, you know, I'm smooth Whoa. like butter. But no, <laughs> just and you and you had in the middle of the night, you woke up and you had my name on you. I, I, this is just getting weirder I know. and weirder. I'm just telling I'm you right in, now. I'm so embarrassed to say that, but it is a true story because, you know, as a podcast host, it is hard sometimes to find a guest. It is just extremely hard. People don't know the pain and agony that us podcast hosts go through to find amazing talent and amazing guests. It's, it is a real hard thing. So if you think you fit in that category to save my agony and maybe help me get a little more sleep, of course, reach out to us here at the show, but, but back to you, my man. So how long have you and Michelle been married? We, we never really settled on, on that. I need to know that. I think well, we got, yeah, we got married in 2017. So we're going on four years or four years this year, four years. Yeah. And you're a dad that's, that's too. Shortest, that's pretty that's exciting. My shortest marriage so far. <laughs> should i be sharing that i don't know but that'll come out it'll come out i'm telling you it's it's about my life it's about how it works but yeah i'm a dad too uh we have a beautiful little two-year-old uh man she's just she's awesome what what do you think the coolest part about being a dad is Help me i that. think it teaches us not to get too deep in this but I, I it really number one it's just cool to have this little girl you know that you're raising that's your responsibility now a lot of people might be mad it's, it's a lot of weight but 
I love it. I love the idea that I get to teach her how to climb. I get to teach her how to hit a ball. I get to teach her how to, I don't know, I get to play with a Barbie with her, you know, flip it to the other side, whatever it is. It's just cool that, the, and then they rely on you and they're, it's like Baba. And then, you know, you get the rejection. And then of course, you know, you get the attitude and you get the crying. So you get all of these, these awesome little attitudes and, and emotions that you have to learn to deal with, but in a whole different light. And then it teaches you how to actually live on the outside. It's amazing. Like if I could just have this same mentality when it comes out with other people. That's the toughest part, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I have a a 14 year old going on 17, maybe even 25, depending on the day. (laughs) So, uh, I can relate. Yep. Wholeheartedly. Uh, girl, girl, dad here. We used to have tea parties. We used to have all kinds of fun and now I get eye rolls and you're not wearing that. Are you dad? You're not, you're not doing that again. Are you dad? Dad, can you take off your headphones? I can hear you singing and it's not pleasant. (laughs) That's, that's that's what I get. So yeah. Anyway, I think it starts early though. Cause you know, I'm already getting told no, no. Do you want to do this? No. Bob is coming to give kisses. No. It's like, she's like two going on. Like, I don't know what, but I'm like, okay, mommy, mommy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But she's awesome. She is awesome. That's, that's great. Getting into your story, I always like to ask this question because it's just fun to ask. So uh, what size shoes do you like to wear? You said like to wear. Well, no, yeah. I, I mean, I'm like to wear. Kidding. I mean, that's true. I, 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 I wear a size 13 unless unless my daughter tells me, Baba, put on my shoe and it's like a size toe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So size 13 is what I wear. Nice. And is there a style or brand that we like more than another? I, I, you know, I've heard this on your podcast on other ones and I'm, I'm like torn. It's like, I'm like, Oh, do I like my sneakers or do I like my boots? I actually like my boots. Uh, nice pair of cowboy boots, throw them on. I got married in them, man. I put a, put a little hat on a little, you know, a little step, you know? Yeah. I, you would never know it with the cars I drive and what I do, but, and this, and how I look like a city boy when I'm walking around, but it's like, I like my boots. Well, you have some Texas roots to you, right? Is is that I did hear that somewhere? I yeah, Texas where. and Colorado. So I was okay. born and raised in Colorado. Um, they now, of course, my parents are split, but one lives in Colorado, one lives in Texas. So both sides, Texas side and Colorado side. So a lot of influence. Yeah, I would imagine, and and a lot of good country in both places, right? Colorado and even in Texas, there's some there's some good places to go, right? There are some good places to go. I am not so much on the Texas side. My mom's been like, you should move to Texas. I'm like, I'm good, but Colorado side, love it, love the mountains, love the rivers, love the fishing, all that stuff. All right, so I've never been to Maryland. College Park is where the Terrapins are at. I know you guys are more on the like lower part towards D.C. area, from what I hear from from sources from our fact finding team. But I'm just wondering, like, if I was going to come out and hang out with you, one, would I have to wear a Maryland anything for the day? Would I have to? Would Michelle make me wear anything Maryland Terrapin? And then two, where would we go and do together, hang out together? Yo, so number one. No Terrapin stuff, please. Now, of course, my wife is not sitting in a room, and she might actually agree with that nowadays. Uh, with with the area that we're living in, you ain't gotta wear none of that stuff. You might have to rub the t- you might have to rub the turtle a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that big, huge cement stone statue that we have in our backyard. No, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you ain't gotta wear no Terrapin. And number two, I mean, who wouldn't want to go to DC? I mean, you, you gotta see DC. We we don't see it enough, but you've got to go there. But then there's other great places in Maryland. Maryland is such a, it's it's got a lot of nature. So, I mean, you could go to DC one day, then you could shoot out to some waterfalls the next day. And it's just, you know, so we got all, it's just a blend, man. We got deer. You could just sit in our backyard and look at the deer if you want to. And we live in the city, but we have a, a girl, deer, 
deer, I should guess whatever that's called. Do- font. What do they call F- female deers? Anyways, a I deer think it's a fawn. I think you were right on that. I think it is a fawn. Yeah. Well, that, she has fawns and she has two of them every year. And so we actually watch babies grow up in our backyard in the city. So there you go. You can see a lot of things. I like it. Of course, I have to like look around the statue in the backyard to see said uh, wildlife, right? Because well, the they just they just took statue. refuge underneath it. It's so they big. they took refuge because it's so big. That's funny. Yeah, I don't have any like ill will towards Maryland. Yeah, I mean they used to be in the ACC and they beat Duke a lot, which I was really excited about. So anyway, there we go. There's my Maryland. Yeah, no basketball team's on system. point. Football team. <laughs> Yeah, let's be real. That's kind of like us. It's kind of like Carolina. We're like, but we're coming up. We got we got a good team this year. I feel like we're going to make some noise and uh, and just get going on that. So I got to ask this question because, you know, being a, a girl dad, I, I would imagine you have seen the movie Cinderella maybe once or twice, maybe. I'm, I'm guessing. You know what? We don't watch cinderella <laughs> i know he's it's like what are you kidding me you no. don't watch cinderella no we um we are so busy doing other things plus i i okay so without getting too deep into into like all of the 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 hollywood and all of that stuff because i don't want all that outright on this one but <laughs> what goes into a mind and so we're really watching what goes into our mind and so we are minimizing the tv i i actually heard favorite program right now is Bible man. She runs around yelling Bible man, singing Bible man. She's Bible girl. She got the little Bible girl shirt on and she just rolls that way. Uh, we just don't have that kind of time and, and we don't give her that much TV and you know what? She's the better for it. That's, I think you're the first person this season has said that they don't subject their kids to Disney movies. So you, you get a prize. Yeah, absolutely. So there we go. A little sound effect for us too. I'm imagining you as an adult, maybe somewhere in your time with Michelle, you guys probably did see Cinderella a time or two, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Fair maybe. enough. And then even more importantly, I don't know a big, again, how big of a sports fan you really are, but you know, Michael Jordan had his signature Jordans. I'm sure you've heard of that guy too, right? Oh yeah. I, I, I could go pull his Jersey out you, of you the should have probably closet. just worn it. Just that I, I should, and, and, but but it's a, a lot of people would like probably want to burn me for it because it was you know when he was playing in DC. <laughs> oh, it's a Wizards jersey. Yeah, I've got the Wizards nice. jersey. Okay, all right. I see what you did there. That's good. Yeah. But even th- that's that makes me feel even better about this question because I don't know if you knew this or not, but when Jordan first came into the league, he couldn't wear his signature Jordans. He was actually banned from wearing them because the colors, believe it or not, did not match the Chicago Bulls' jersey colors. They were off. The reds didn't match. The NBA cared that much about what color your shoes were. Wow. And so he couldn't wear them. He could only wear them in exhibition games. And so Nike, being the marketing geniuses that they are, decided to make a little commercial. So they make this commercial, and it starts at the top with Jordan, and he's got this, like, goofy-looking grin on because, you know, he's Michael, and he's bouncing a ball. And it slowly pans down to his shoes, and there's a black box around the shoe. The voice comes on and says, the NBA may ban him from wearing these, but we never will. Mm. And then it goes, just do it. Nice. Genius moment right there for Nike. That is a, yeah, marketing moment. Yeah, a marketing moment like no other, right? And so my question is for you, my friend. Has there ever been a moment in your life where you felt like just banned or you just felt stuck like Cinderella or you just felt like you just couldn't get out of that proverbial quicksand maybe? Pretty much my whole life. 
Um, I, you know, I don't know how much story is on here, but I, I was molested as a child. Um, so identity issues came in real early. Shame issues came in real early. So I pretty much lived my life for other people telling me what to say. So that, 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 that dark moment, you know, that, that, that shadowed me was all the way until I found the, uh, an answer to, to these problems, how to get out of these problems, how to kind of be okay with myself. In other words, like, and so, cause most of my life, it, well, I wasn't okay with myself. So I'm running two lies. I'm like, wow, shh. I got the army over here telling me, man, you're awesome. Do, 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 do. And you're in your role. And you know, I'm in war. I'm, I'm leading. I'm, I'm moving up in rank, uh, moving up in all the schools. I'm doing just awesome. On the other side, I have like just this mental, anguish, this shame, this, this constant emptiness. And so it was almost like you had this life that sat out here in the open, but you had this darkness that sat over here and, and the darkness was never lit up by the light. It was just something that kept me going that just kept me hitting the next step. And so as my life progressed, so did the issues. So did the the way I live. I'm, you know, good leader. I didn't sit there and, and not lead well. I led really well. I had really good teams. I had really good guys. In fact, I was always given the guys who were mo- the most broken, go figure. I kind of had a connection there. Um, not saying it was horrible, but I'm just saying that life, that blackness, that darkness was just sitting right there on me the whole time a- until light was shined on that. You know, I don't often share this, but my my most downloaded episode of all time is called Emptiness. Mm. And it's with one of my former coworkers, and he talks about being molested in the church. Mm. And to me, it blows my mind. By the way, almost 8,000 people have downloaded that. Wow. It's insane to think about. It's insane. And to me, when I think about that episode and I think about sitting with him, I sat with him in my living room, not in, not in our current studio that we, we have now, but I sat with him in my living room and every now and then I, I go back into the living room and I sit down in, in the certain seat that I sat in when I did the episode with him. And I almost imagine the pain of him sharing that with me how painful that was for him. So I'm going to tread delicately here. I, I know we don't know each other super well, but I do want to know more about that if that's okay. Yeah, that's that's. I that's mean, we, we don't have to get into the obviously the graphic detail well, of it right, or anything yeah. like that. But I'm just wondering about that because to me, it's not every day that I come across a male person that openly admits like, hey man, I was, I was sexually molested. Like that's just not, you know, like we're playing hoops and you're like, oh, by the way, BT dubs, you know, this happened. Did it have a, a tremendous impact on your life and, and how did that shape you going forward? So my parents split early um, and this happened not short, shortly after this um, was when it happened and it happened at, okay, so I'm the old school, right? Arcades, you know, he said I was in the army 11 years. Thank you. Praise God. He thinks I look young, man. I've been with the army for like 30 plus years, but, uh, but, uh, I was, so the arcades were the thing back then. And so there was some situations in the family cause there's brokenness from the divorce where I was left exposed and, um, the arcade became a refuge. And so money was being poured into my pocket just to get me out the house. Well, that's where the predator took advantage of me now in, in a, what was I? 11, 11 year old boy's mind maybe younger, 10, I don't know, somewhere in there. It happened over a summertime in between fourth and fifth grade. So whatever the age is on that. And I kept going back though, because I think that, well, I know that there was a rejection and this was someone accepting and someone who was giving me uh, attention and, and what they would call, you know, a perverted love. But you know, at that time, and so I kept going back. And so the stain that that left, because when you're 11, you don't understand how you can be manipulated. You don't understand how you, someone can just take you and mold you and form you and create what they want you to be. You put it into your own lap. Actually, I, I just took the, all the responsibility onto myself. And so what's interesting about all that, though, it, I took it all on myself. I never really had any issues in the forgiving parts or the or the or the like it's your fault parts of 
blaming my parents, I took on this responsibility and held this responsibility. And in holding that responsibility is where my identity crisis started because, man, what that does to a person, you know, am I, and, and you know, I'm going to say it, am I, was I gay? You know, that, how many times did that roll through your head? Um, how many times is, does it roll through your head? Am I, do I, am I really attracted to women or am I not attracted to women? Um, and it just goes down this dark porthole into just this emptiness. And so what are you trying to do? You're trying to swim here on the good side. You're like, okay, you know, I'm going to keep doing my work. I'm going to keep doing this thing. I'm going to keep doing this thing over on this side. You're doing drugs. You're doing alcohol. You're doing all kinds of things to kind of cover it. What I call the fixes. And this was all the way from the beginning, from then uh, middle school. And um, watch this. This is how I okay, I believe in the enemy. I believe there is an enemy. I believe that that Satan, it just wants to crumple people. And so when I sat there, it, it, man, I went into fifth grade and my best friend where this nickname came from, I will never understand. He started calling me Shay Gay. Didn't know anything. He didn't know anything. But here he is calling me Shay Gay. Now, the impact of that. Well, what did that do? Well, uh, middle school, pretty much. I was just like, I didn't even really go to school. I mean, I went to school. I didn't participate. I didn't do anything. Man, these people were beating me up. I had this on my mind, had all this. I shouldn't have passed. <laughs> I know this. But they pushed me on. And then I went to live with my dad. And by that time, my dad was a Christian. And so I ended up in a Christian school, but you know, Hey, I straightened out. All I'm saying is I straightened out. Then I knew who Jesus was. I knew who God was. I knew the Holy spirit. I believed in it. I was like, okay, but what did that do? It put me into sports. It put me into balance. It put me into a, a disciplined house, um, to where I could excel. And so I did, I excelled in school. I excelled, you know, all of these things, but always on the side, Bas basketball, football, baseball. I mean, I lettered in everything starting from freshman year. I was on the varsity team by the, by sophomore year. I mean, I was full blown playing on the softball for basketball and football. Uh, and I just kept going because why people were just sitting there saying, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good. And that was my go. But over here I would go home and just be like, <gasps> I just couldn't breathe. I couldn't function. I never felt adequate. I never felt good enough. Um, warrant that with a, a church, Assemblies of God, uh, Pentecostal, full-blown. Uh, and I and I still can't sit there and say 100%, you know, they believed in you sin, you go to hell. But that was the condemnation that I was feeling because I felt broken and I felt inadequate. That's not God. That's not God. I'm going to clear that right here. That is not God. But that is what I felt. Well, first off, thank you. Thank you for letting us walk down that road with you. I, I just am always blown away that adults come into a young person's life and get to violate them, get to break trust, get to, you know, the, the gaslighting, all this other stuff that comes with it. You know, you, you're trying to beat Pac-Man or Contra or figure out the latest, you know, whatever, Dig Dug. I'm, I'm trying to think of like old school video games. And here, and here this, Asteroids. yeah, and and here this, <laughs> right, here this right, dude is right. just violating, you know, not only your innocence but in in more ways than one. Allow us to hear those conversations you were having, you know, in your head now verbalizing to come out. I mean, I've always wanted to ask people that question. Like again, males who were, you know, molested. I've always wanted to ask them: Did they ever struggle with that homosexuality, you know, idea that was put in their head? Because you know, maybe they felt that they were and, and, and you clearly now, again, I know we're not, we're making a broad sweeping statement. You felt that way. That doesn't mean everyone else in the planet maybe have felt that right. way, but you felt that way. I think that's very important to remember. With that being said, I, I just, I value that. I value that you gave us that. So thank you. Thank you for that. So I'm hearing all this accolade. I'm hearing all this praise. I'm hearing all these people just sharing with you, like 
you're the best. You're amazing. You're, you know, I think of like the karate kid, you know, the fight scene, you know, he's in the tournament. You're the best around. Nothing's going to stop you now. Yeah. That was my singing. I just, yeah, sorry. Everyone had to hear that and endure that, but. But it's true. It's a great song from the Karate Kid, the original. But in that, you had so many people pouring into you saying you're going to be the best around. Do you think you ever in any point in time made yourself an idol that you worshipped? And if so, what was that like? I worship a lot of idols. So when I say a fix, uh, let's define fix. I was idolizing fixes. That could be being the best on the shooting range. That could be getting drunk and just forgetting. That could be a wife that could be a second wife you know it, it only awakened me into the third wife which i always call the third one is my best one because you know it's centered in christ it was the fixes it was and you know what women became this idolization i think that that would be probably one of the bigger idols so when that would fall everything would fall if the relationship was good i was good there's a lot of things within that that whole thing too that just you know you're sitting here talking about like sharing into this moment and what meant what people go through and what i what i went through not saying a lot of people do that you know everyone has their own I, I agree with that but you know you you sexual satisfaction satisfaction even hits misses a point so really all you're relying on is this person like even when getting into bed wasn't the fix it was just relying on this person for your life to be good so no, wife number one absolutely that's what that was wife number two the same thing and you know what's funny is broken people find each other so it was kind of like that for both sides of that so that would be what what i have idolized in my in my life would be you know idolizing the relationship okay i'm women. gonna play devil's advocate here and i even hate that phrase like devil's advocate oh, come you on, know, bring it. i love it I, I, love I like i like the other side of the coin maybe uh devil's advocate again i just i cringe at that because i'm i i don't like the blue devils like I just don't. And just saying, like, nothing about the devil is good. Just saying. Uh, blue, red, or otherwise. I'm going to play the other side of the coin here. You had this kind of proverbial bucket, and you kind of just kept filling the bucket up. Okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try the army. I'm going to try sports. I'm going to try women. I'm going to try drinking. I'm going to try drugs. I'm going to try tattooing. I mean, they can't see it because it's audio, but you got some tats, and they're pretty awesome, and they're down your sleeves, and it's pretty pretty amazing artwork there. I don't have any, so I admire those that that do it because I'm like, wow, that's permanent. I, I'm not a big permanent guy. I don't even like permanent markers, but anyway, <laughs> just funny story on that. But what stops Jesus from becoming, quote unquote, the fix? I'm okay with that. Why? I guess there's got to be stories behind this. So I, I think that we all come through testimonies. Does that make sense? It's like, how how did it impact your life? Right, but just make sure oh. it's you, not someone else, if right. you don't mind on right. that. Right, right. So like me, and, and you know, this is me. I, you know, I, I speak for me. And you know, a testimony is 100% me. How other people experience things, that is that is totally in their realm. But for me, I had PTSD. I had nightmares. I had delusions. I had flashbacks going on decades. They affected my life. Um, I had addictions affected my life. I had pornography addictions affected my life. I had self issues, loving myself issues, decades of my life. In 2014, when I finally hit rock bottom, when my second wife left me, and that was the wife I thought I would sit on the porch with. That's the wife I thought I would grow old together with. That's, you know, and, and I had quit drugs, the hard drugs in the beginning of that marriage. And because of eight miscarriages in the fourth and fifth months, you know, it has a toll on the relationship. She came in later and she's like, I just want to party. I just want to do drugs. I just want to chill out. And I was like, I just throw up the walls. Um, ended up on a New Year's Eve night covering again, covering. I took Ambien, took beer, just wanted to go to sleep. I drove to my friend's house in Virginia, which is about a 40 minute drive. I don't even remember it. I wake up in a chair sitting across from him. He's a veteran. He's missing his legs. Good friend of mine. And I wake up and I'm like, what am I doing here? And he goes, you drove here. And he has a gun sitting on a table. 
next to him on the chair. And I'm like, well, what's the gun for? And he goes, well, reach inside your hoodie. Well, I had my nine mil. And he's like, that's why I've been sitting here. But he sat there all night watching over me. Number one, I think that's a moment right there. That's just for me, a very spiritual awakening moment. Like, wait, I just had someone sit up all night, watch over me to make sure I'm okay. Well, I knew Jesus. Look, I've heard Jesus my whole life. My family by this time is, you know, my mom's a Christian. Don't beat me down with it. You know, they're praying for me. I don't even hear those prayers. Look, <laughs> I don't hear them. You know, they're not like calling me up and like praying over me over the phone, you know, or, or, you know, and everyone's while, or when I'd go visit, my mom would say, okay, you know, do you want to come to church? And, and and if I would have said no, it was fine, but I would go, you know, and I would sit there and when the music would play, I could feel something, something was calling. And so I sat there that morning after showing up my friend's house, covering my problems again. And I was like, let me go to church. Well, I found a church. They teach grace. They teach finished work. They teach the love of Christ. They teach the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness of Christ, how he sees us, not how we see ourselves, but how he sees us. And believe it or not, I, I was like, I fought it at first. I'm like, nah, psh, psh, come on, man. No one sees me that way. Well, I went to Kenya, fell again. Guys, I felt again. I, I, you know, you when you do this transition, this is like a month later. So January, I'm in church. February, I'm back in Kenya, somewhere I've gone for 20 plus years. Partied it up, went with the crowd. You know, had a good time. Was in the club, doing all the things. And you meet up with the same crowd, and there's methamphetamines. Never in Kenya ever. And here I am again, covering up. So first time in January, I was like, "Fine, God." It was that defiant, whatever God. Just do something. That time coming on the plane home, I was like, "I'm done, God. I can't do nothing no more. I can't do this." I slept and. Here goes my weird moment. You had your weird moment with Shea Butter. I'm just letting you know. But I had my weird moment. And and I <laughs> and I and I uh I had a dream that night and it's about Jesus going on the cross and being crucified. And I experienced some pain that I'd never experienced in my entire life as this happened. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. He died for me with that much pain. He took on everything. And I knelt beside my bed and I surrendered right there. I said, Jesus, you do something in my life. I am here. I will serve you. And you know what? Nightmares, delusions, flashbacks, addiction, like that need to watch porn, drugs and alcohol, completely gone. I have not had one PTSD issue since 2014. You asked me, is Jesus my fix? Is he my crutch? Absolutely. Because every day I wake up, I don't have the world telling me who I am. I have who I believe created me telling me I am a good person. So yeah, my fix. That's powerful, man. It's just, uh, I, I can tell you're, the emotions are right there. And, and that's what I respect and and just love about people and getting to know new people is, you know, I'm, I'm not obviously trying to push buttons to, to invoke that or to cause that. I, I think that's just you and your passion coming out. One of my favorite movies, and it was on just last night, it's called Active Valor. I don't know if you've seen it because it's a Navy SEAL movie. I don't know how you feel about Navy SEALs. Oh, no, Active Valor. I, no, I, I watch those things right, sometimes. fair enough. <laughs> and, and not to try to sound too flippant, but I don't know if, if things like that would cause any kind of flashbacks or any kind of, you know, trauma or anything like that. So I'm, 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 being funny, but not trying to be like disrespectful on that. But right, good. You're okay. good, brother. But in You're that, good. there's a scene at the end of the movie. I'm going to just wreck it for those who haven't seen it. But at the end of the movie, one of the main characters dies and his buddy's writing this letter to his, his son, his unborn son. And he, and he, and he's writing this letter and here's, here's kind of the quote. It says, put your pain in a box, lock it down. We are men made up of boxes, chambers of loss, of triumph, of hurt, of love, of hope. Use this as ammunition, as ink to write the most impactful letter of your life. Mm. In other words, putting all that stuff in a box, putting all that pain in a box. Is there any truth to that in your life that you've had to kind of just put things in a box? I think as men, we always categorize. We always, <laughs> there's dangers in this and there's and there's positives in this. Positive, you get through the moment. Danger is you, you put it there, you forget about it. You don't take care of it. I believe in 
so I have three three words that I always use, and it's like pray, pause, proceed. So pray, pause, proceed. So I'm calling in, taking it in, putting it into this box. Now I'm waiting for this. Now I'm pausing so that I can sit there and know how I'm going to move forward in this. I'm not forgetting it. I'm actually working through it. I'm working on it. But then I'm also proceeding at the same time. So I think that what we do as men, and as I did myself, isolate, isolate, forget, 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 but it's still back there. I'm still looking behind at it. I'm still in the shame about it. But nowadays with a healthy mentality towards this, right? I'm not just putting it away and saying, I'm good. No, I think sometimes the admission in that, like he's saying, put it on paper. I, I like that part. It, it, it was like, it was like, okay, we're going to go through all this. We're going to go through all this trauma. We're going to go through all of these, these, these situations, man, bullets might be fl- flying. Grenades might be, you know, popping off next to you. Artillery rounds are coming coming in. I mean, this was my life. So put it on paper. What are you doing when you're putting it on paper? You're thinking about it. Process. How many times in life? I don't know if anyone's ever been in therapy before. I'm, I'm raising my hands, <laughs> but they're like, you know, right. Write it down. Journal. I mean, I, okay. I know I'm a guy, but journaling, I, I've never done it. Y'all, but I journal up here and I journal in my, in my Google docs. Anyways, my Google docs is my, my everything. It's like, but I'm writing these things down not to forget them or so that sometimes I might have to revisit them. Sometimes I might have to come back and say, okay, this is affecting my life in this certain way. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, write these things down like it's the most important thing in your life because we have to deal with the things that we go through. What that looks like is different for everyone. It's something that is, it's, it's the key that has to be done inside of you, but we, we can't just, man, I bypassed my life for decades. I let it just sit back there. I didn't want to admit it. I didn't want to see it. But man, every once in a while, that flash would pop up in my head, a visual here, a visual there. And until I really got down into it and dug into it, right, and really laid it out there. Now, see, of course, mine's God. That's me. Um, but when I laid it out there, it was healing. And, and I think that when I sit here today, I can talk about these things without stuttering or hiccuping, breaking down in the past, I would have broke down. You know, 27 years old telling my parents I was molested because they never knew because I was in a hospital taking care of PTSD. And my therapist was like, have you ever told your parents? I'm like, no, broke down. But today I can talk about it because it's behind me. It's not something that is impacting my life here and in this moment, right? I'm worried about today, not tomorrow. I think, and that's what we're doing. We're writing these letters, write that letter, get it out. Then you can look back at it. Don't, don't, don't go past it. But if you really feel it back in you, go back and look at how did you feel in that moment? And let's work on that. Let's work on it. What is the danger if you didn't work on it? If you didn't, in your words, your your phrase, right? Pray, pause, proceed. You remember it as a kid, right? Your dad would probably come in, hey, clean your room, and you'd shove everything in the closet, shove everything under the bed, make the bed all nice and neat, and everything else was, was nice. But really, everything was shoved in the closet or under the bed, right? But imagine, again, your room is your life now. And you've shoved everything just in closets and under beds, but you've never really dealt with it. You've never really cleaned it, put it away. It's just shoved away. What happens if it's just shoved away and not dealt with in your mind? Well, we've all heard the term baggage. Now, you're, you, let's use your analogy because I like that. You're a kid. Dad tells you to put it away. You shove it all up in the closets. One day you're going to have to move out. <laughs> One day you're going to have to get into that closet. One day your closet's not going to have enough room. And, and usually, well, for me, I, I, like, I like keeping it to me. When my closet no longer had room is when I actually hit rock bottom. Um, and I had to deal with it. And, and like I said, I tell people this all the time. I, I hit rock bottom, but hit the rock of salvation. And I didn't go any deeper. And if anything, I've just keep going up. And it is a mentality. I know that the Bible gets gets bad raps on things. But man, let me tell you something. When Jesus spoke and he spoke to some of the most broken people and he loved them and he cared about them and he gave them an opportunity for grace and mercy and to, and to heal. And that's what he did for me. 
I had to deal with it though. I mean, it's man, you shove it in there. What happens? You have breaking points all through your life. You know, what was it all the way through the army, man? I was good. I'm good. You know, I got the, I got the broken home and my wife, but I got the army. So I'm good, you know? And, and then the army says, you're not good for us. So I've been packing all this stuff in my closet and they're telling me I'm, you're not good for, you're not good enough for us. You got to go. We're going to retire you medically. You're broken. You're worthless. My mind. Remember, they're not telling me this physically. So I'm out. And what did I turn to? Because I just felt so alone, so empty, so broken. Meth, crack, coke, whatever. The only thing I didn't touch was heroin. Um, Because I didn't care if I lived or died. And that was my moment. Luckily, I had a sister. Another Christ moment in there. I th- I would call. I I always add these up because when my dad and was telling my dad's kind of I love him to death, but he's a little tougher. Uh, when he was telling her to kick him out out the house, like, no, dad. And she gave me so much grace, so much mercy. And so this is what happens. This is what's happening through my whole life. It might be in the middle of the the thirteen year marriage and and it's not going right. You know, eight miscarriages, four fifth month, and you break again. And what do you do? You turn somewhere else. You turn to the world. You turn to the drugs. You turn to the alcohol. Well, not drugs at that point, but alcohol, something to cover it. You're not you're not taking care of it. Write it down. Write it down. How do you feel right now? Don't don't sugarcoat it. Don't know the rawest raw of raw. How do you feel right now? And look, if it's so bad, get help. You know, if, if, if it's like, get help, but I mean, write it down, get it, get it out there, man. How do you get rid of darkness by shining light on it? It's got to get out there. Um, and if you bury it in the closet, man, all you're doing is keeping it in darkness. I love that a lot. I really do. I, I think that's great stuff. Change of gears here for a moment for you. Absolutely. There's this little stadium, I think nearby you guys, I don't know, West Point. Have you, you ever heard of this place? I don't know. I've heard, I've heard of West Point, but actually the Naval Academy's closer. Boo. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Navy guys, I love y'all. All right. But I'm just imagining like like West Point, like somehow we, we create this amazing event for you, right? We get you on the 50-yard line of West Point. You got the cadets there, right? They're getting ready to, to go out and I would say be all that they can be, you know? You know, the few, the proud. Wait, wrong branch. <laughs> Oh, man, that's the Hoorah. Marines. What are we doing? We're at the Hoorah. wrong event. <laughs> what is the Army's slogan anyway? Like, I don't even know it. Like, the Marines have something amazing. They've changed it so many times. Do you feel inspired to go be a Marine? I'm, I'm just saying, asking for a I friend. like watching the Marine commercials nowadays, so whatever. No. <laughs> right? Our Army is like, we're here. And I'm like, oh, I love y'all, but mm, be all you can be was mine. Was be all you can be. Okay. So my dad is a Marine, for, for those that don't know. And I was born in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Carolina. That explains the Carolina connection. Just for those that uh, maybe haven't caught up on some past episodes, that explains my Carolina fandom. As I was actually born in North Carolina, so I am a Tar Heel born, Tar Heel bred by uh, by all definitions. The Marines have this amazing phrase, right? The few, the proud, the Marines. But the Army, it's like, yay, we're Army of One. Oh. Just, Notice the Marines have it's never not changed. As cool. The Marines have never changed. By the way, the Marines have never, right. I didn't want to be mean, but the Marines have never right. changed, right? It's been the same for like 300 some odd years or whatever it's been. But, but anyway, back to West Point. But West Point, we have the cadets there, right? All of them are going on to aspire to be officers and, and greater things in the Army. None of them have, as far as I know, have experienced any PTSD. Now they might be carrying some baggage from childhood, much like you have, because I think we all carry some sort of baggage from our childhood. No matter what it is. But by the way, the seating capacity, in case you're wondering, 38,000 people mm. in their football stadium. It's pretty exciting. I mean, that's that's pretty good. But if we can get you at the 50-yard line, what would you say to these cadets on their graduation day? That's on the spot. <laughs> He's like, we're about to take it easy. Let's switch gears and make it harder. <laughs> oh, man. What would I tell them? Most of the West West uh, Point cadets are there for a reason. Um 
whatever it is, school, some to serve for their country because they're fathers and their grandfathers. But one of the things that I would honestly tell them that, you know, no no matter what your mission, no matter what you've been put in front of, what you've experienced, what you're going to go through, you have to be real with yourself. We have to really come to a position where we can understand our current status. You know, they, they teach us this all the time. Do this, do this. Do this. Mental health, I, you know, I, I, granted, y'all, I don't know how it is in the last, you know, since, tw- what, 1999. There's my age. I've never felt like, or I've never felt like, I don't know which side it's coming from. I know when I was there in the mental, you know, mental health ward and stuff, they didn't understand me. Um, now they've tried to revamp that a little bit and put combat arms people in place. But a lot of it, like a lot of the friends that I have that lost, you know, that lost legs that were later army that I met later in life. They're not looking for the help that they need. And it's because they're putting things in their closet. So maybe if I stood out there on that 50 yard line, I'd be like, look, you can't just stuff and stuff and stuff things into your closet. You can't just stuff and stuff and stuff into your A bag. Those are the big bags they carry around or your rucksack. You got to deal with them. You got to take care of them. That speech that you just read, yeah, it's from a movie, but hey, put it down on paper. You know, a lot of the wars that we've seen from World War II and some other things, what did we always see? They were writing, they were writing their loved ones, man. They would send home so many letters to their loved ones. Today, man, I'm holding it up, y'all. It's, 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 we have this device, this technology, you know, which actually makes it worse, I think, for for our military today because they have instant communication. So if something bad at home goes bad, it goes bad. But they used to write letters, write how they're doing, write what's going on um, and really face what they're going through. I think military men have always been hard on themselves and just kind of bury it and put it in a closet. So I'd want them to to bring light into that darkness and really, you know, be real about themselves. Because I think the more real you are, the more that you can sit there and, and just work at it and, or put it out there, the more you're going to be able to work towards it and better and healthier you're going to be mentally. Do you think any of them would really listen to you? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I didn't. No, but I didn't ever have anybody telling me these things. You know, I, I can only go from my own experience. And, and, you know, when you're on the battlefield, it's like, man up, huh, you know, and, and you'll know, get through it. Right. And you do that. And then as you turn into a leader, you turn around and do it. And because why it's rough. It's hard. You don't have time for that. You know, you're like, just get it together because, you know, your my life depends on it. The other guy's lives depend on it. You got to you got to wake this up. And uh, the mental health aspect, I think, has always been something that the Army and all the, the armed forces could work on just a little bit better. I don't know how that would look, but uh, I think that, you know, you have to be you have to sit there in, in this reality bullet statement right now. Hey, look, don't cover it up and keep it covered. You know, I don't sit in a foxhole my whole life. You know, I don't sit in the foxhole and I just sit there and cover down, cover down and stay in the foxhole. No, I got to get up and move. Or if I'm behind a tree, I don't just cover behind a tree. I got to move. We got to move. We got to move. We got to move. But don't just stuff it somewhere. Don't stuff it. And would they listen? I mean, let me tell my story. Maybe through the testimony of my story and how it broke me down, maybe they would. But I wouldn't. I mean, I'd have to be on that field. I'm one of those guys. I'd have to be on that field in front of all of them. And then some epic statement would come out. But I know where it would be. It would be in that realm of, of don't. Don't bury stuff, you know, work on it, work at it. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be immediate, but just work on it. So out of all the trauma and all the heartache and all the, you know, stuffing things and and putting it in the rucksack and, you know, throwing it on your back and thinking, well, it's behind me. Theoretically, it's behind me. You know, I'm not dealing with it anymore because it's behind me. Is there anybody from your past that you feel like was the hardest for you to forgive? No, the hardest to forgive. I've always had a forgiving spirit and I think, okay, fine. Actually, no, I'm about to talk myself into the person that I have the hardest time forgiving. It's me. I have the hardest time 
time forgiving myself. I will take on everyone else's beat down as my own. And so learning how to forgive myself has always been my hardest. I think with all the challenges and, and all the you know heartache that you've walked through, I, I just am, I almost look at it like a minefield. Like I just feel like every step you took, you were about ready to just lose, you know, your proverbial mind or life or, you know, implode those around you with the choices that you were making. And so I, I just was curious if you ever really struggled with being able to let that go and, and really truly forgive, you know, those are, those that have hurt you in the past. And so that's why I asked that question. Yeah, no, my mom asked it the other day. She goes, I, I don't know how you forgave me. And I'm like, because I'd never had an issue with you. It's like, it shifted to me. And even in the healing process, come on, man, or decades later, it's like, and, and it's not like my mom is still a crack, is a crackhead. You know what I'm saying? It's like, she's in church. She plays a piano. She sings in the worship choir. You know, it's like, so there's not like this, like, immediacy to, but I've always been one to just take on all the responsibility. And so in that, I never had an issue with them as much, you know, I never had that issue. Now, was I angry child? Was I hard to deal with? Absolutely. Cause I was broke. In fact, if anything, because of that, I, I, I apologize to my stepmom all the time. I see, you know, I, I'm always apologizing to my dad. I'm like, man, I was a horrible kid. I'm sorry. y'all. Yeah. It'd just be, for me, it's me. Um, even the guy that did what he did, the only thing that I wish, you know, that I wish that would happen, have happened. And that I feel probably like, that I, I struggle with sometimes is the fact that I never exposed it. So therefore, who took my place? You know, I could, I prayerfully, I hope that he did get caught prayerfully. I hope that, you know, you know, he, he found whatever redemption <laughs> Christ can do amazing things. But I, that's one of the points in my life that sometimes I'm like, I wonder who else had to go through this. Um, and again, falls on me, but I have to sit here and say, okay, well, look, I couldn't do anything about then. Gotta let go. Gotta move forward. That's not gonna sit in my closet. Yeah, no, I, I think that's I think that's powerful. Again, I, I'm always blown away when when people share that with me and, and they have shared that in the past that they've been able to forgive that person that has done them trauma. You know, whether it be child abuse or molestation or rape or whatever it may be that they have been able to get to a point of being able to be forgiven. And, uh, I mean, that's just, it's such a powerful testimony. And I, again, I'm blown away that people can do that. I would hope that if that ever happened to me, I would be able to forgive that person. But I, I mean, I, I just don't know. I think I'd probably shove it in the backpack and just be like, eh, it's good. It's fine. It's behind me. But I would give you an opportunity. I know you and your wife, Michelle, as we, as we said at the onset, the very charming and talented wife that you, that you have, you you have an amazing show. What's going on with that? How can people find it? How can people go learn more about that and maybe even learn more about you? And then I want to play a game with you. So be prepared. Oh yeah. Awesome. Awesome. No, uh, you can find us at the pantrypodcast.com. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Hello, TikTok. Uh, we are on those platforms. Uh, Pantry Podcast. What? Why that name? Worst SEO anyone could ever come up with. If y'all don't assist, opera, you know, whatever. It's like how people search you. But what's in your spiritual pantry? Search engine optimization. I think is what you're searching for. <laughs> There we go. Search engine optimization. That's why she's, she's the, see, like you said, the amazing Michelle, cause she is, she's, she is all the software, all the website design, all the graphic designs, man. She is awesome. But, uh, but the pantry podcast, what's in your uh, pantry? You know, are we storing up junk food? Are we storing up good food? You know, what's in your heart? What's in your spiritual storehouse? And, you know, we want good things in our spiritual storehouse. You know, Christians get a bad rap. Christians get a bad everything because, you know, sometimes we just look very overpowering and, and, and in a lot of cases they are, but really what's in your pantry? How can you love your neighbor? How can you love your enemy? Um, how can you exist in a world that, you know, doesn't align with what you believe? And so, yeah, that's what we, we bring it out. We bring it out truthfully. We bring it out real and we will challenge the Christian. Um, you know, a lot of people like, Hey, go out, talk to the world. And we're like, okay, no, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to sound a little hard, but man, look, we want you to be better 
and love people better. So that's what we do. That's good stuff. I like that a lot. Game senseless. There it is. It's the famous North Carolina Cup. So no terrapins here. No terrapins were harmed in the taping of this episode either. So I'm going to roll. I'm hoping you get a really good number. So I'm really going to roll this really well. Ooh, number five. Hironic. It's dealing with a taste. So here we go. There's number five. There's proof. Yeah, even the five is light blue. A powder <laughs> puff blue is killing me. But it's anyway, everywhere. <laughs> it's 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 everywhere. The Jordans behind me. I love me. it. No, I love it. I love it. The slippers, Jordans. Nice. Yeah, the headphones, the court, everything's oh, light blue oh, around here. Oh. All right. So favorite thing to taste. Flan. Did you say flan? I like flan. Help me with that. I, I've heard of flan. But I don't, I don't know if I really know what it is. Help me with flan. That's a Spanish cheesecake. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm about to get beat up. I'm about to get beat up. My Latino brothers and sisters, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Flan is like, it's like, it's it's milky. It's creamy. It's got sugar. It's it's braised on top, you know, with the little sugar braising. And it's like, it's like custard. So what we would call custard. I said cheesecake because I was being trying to be funny. But it's what what we would call custard, but tastes so much better. So much better. And do you make it? Because I've heard you're kind of the, uh, you know, the Wolfgang Puck or the uh, Gordon Ramsay <laughs> in the kitchen. I've heard that. Yes, I can make flan. I can make tres leches. You telling me what you want to eat? I got you, brother. In fact, you come to D.C., you just stay in the room we got. Man, look. I got dinner. Do you got lunch and breakfast too, or just dinner? Just wondering, oh, oh, asking brother, for if a you friend. Stay in the house, man. You're taking care of. But what would you want somebody to? If they're again, they're hearing you. They're really, you know, want to know more of your story. Want to know more of that. I know we talked about how people can connect with you, but but why do you think your story is so compelling, and why should people really pay attention to hearing it? Well, humbly, I would never think that way. In that sense of like, I I don't hold myself in that like light, thinking that my story is better than anyone else's story, and that's that's just because that's how I am. Uh, that might need some work, but I do cover a a, a a wide range of experiences that I've been through. You know, I did we didn't get to the point of being an abused husband. You know, broken nose, stabbed in the back. Um, but I cover a wide array. You can find those um, on the pantrypodcast.com. We have a drop down for other people's shows and you can hear my full testimony. And I think what I bring to it is, I mean, I bring Jesus to mind. Um, I don't think I could be where I'm at now sitting how I'm sitting now without that. But that doesn't mean other people can't find comfort, can't find, you know, but I'm, I'm just saying that is what I solidify as my answer. In fact, I think it's an answer. I think it's the answer. Uh, people might not want to hear that, but it's my answer. And so why my story, though? I'm telling you, uh, Rod, Rodney Olson walked through the whole story. And I, I really should be sitting here bitter, enraged, in hate, um, angry, um, deflections, and all kinds of other emotions. But I'm not. In fact, I'm in a marriage that's better than any marriage I've ever had. We respect one another. We're honest with one another. We lay everything out on the table with one another. There's nothing hidden in closets with each other. Um, and that's because we've connected equally um, through Christ. And so it's a it's a victory story. And I want people to have victory. I want people to sit there and say at the end of the day, man, you know what? I've been through hell, but I'm good because I'm good. I'm good. Like, I am so good. I can say that a hundred times. I'm good. And I am. I'm not making it up. It's, it's, it's just a beautiful position to be in to know that you can walk with your head high, you know, and say, I am somebody, I'm good, I have victory. Wow, that's powerful, man. I compliment you for being willing to come on and share 
tough subjects and to share it with the conviction and the passion to me I think is something that I see a lot of people don't have in secular or even in the church people are afraid to share their story they're afraid to share the, the trauma that has come and self-induced or or maybe even because of circumstances beyond their control people are just afraid to really share their story and I think there's a little bit of judgment that comes with that I think there's a little bit of apprehension in people that I've come across at least so man I, I just again I applaud you for what you shared I'm just excited that we had an opportunity to connect and uh, I'm just I'm just really thrilled so man thank you so much for coming on I really appreciate it oh thanks for having me brother it's been an awesome conversation guys and gals alike as we wrap up today I just want to ask this question as we close out what is in your closet now I know you know nowadays when we talk about people coming out of the closet it's this like big thing this this courageous thing and we applaud them and we celebrate them but are we celebrating and we are we are we applauding for the wrong reason that's what I want to ask you because for me I just encountered a gentleman that was not afraid to share the laundry afraid to share the demons was not afraid to share the scars was not afraid to share the wounds and let me just tell you there is power in what he said but it's not his power that's the best part of all I feel like he has been super powered He's been superstarred. You know, you guys might remember this back in the day, Mario Brothers, right? The original Super Mario. When you got that star, you were unstoppable. And I think today, our guest, Jay, man, he grabbed that star, but it wasn't the star like you would think of. It's the king who put the stars in place. He grabbed that star and he has run with it. And he has run with it to the point of saying, you know what? I'm unstoppable now. I'm not going to let anything stand in my way from accomplishing the mission and that's saving the world one person at a time and i think he's doing that very well so guys if you're interested please of course go check out what they're doing pantry podcast we of course will link all of that in our show notes and just remember this as we wrap up today remember when you walk in other people's shoes you really do get a different perspective on life stay tuned till next week again as we walk in other people's shoes